Hello and welcome back to the You Show Show. It is the show where you show things. I am Calvin Lazen McMurray and I'm joined again today by my good friend Michael Graff. Mike, hello and welcome back. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Howdy, howdy, howdy. And uh, Mike, uh, we talked about owner, writer, director of SpotFilmers.com, MikeWrites.com. Um, no, Graff writes. Oh, I'm Graf. sorry. Gra- I, I'm sorry. My, my B. And um, thank God. Thank God you're here. And um, um, I was thinking, too, another fun fact about you and me is that we are both ordained ministers. We can yeah. uh, we can marry you. So we get your itch. We should, oh, we should, that should be the next, next website, laser, <laughs> lasergraphmarriages.com. <laughs> Hire us to do your wedding. You need to get, you need to get hitched in a hurry? Yeah, exactly. Laser. Yeah. Call the graph laser. Yeah. Preg- pregnant and afraid from your, from your dad? Call Mr. Yeah. Laser. Yeah, there we go. Well, I can marry Shotgun wedding in your future? <laughs> We could do that. We also, we, we drink at downtown Madison and then we just like go around and like point our fingers like guns at couples. It's like, pew, you're married. Pew, you're married. Knock, knock. Guess what? Pew, you're married. Yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely part of the job. Anyway, um, I also really quickly want to talk about, like I was thinking about last episode, how we've known each other for eight years. And I do want to talk about that you have been such a good friend that you're still friends with me, even though I've almost blown up your house twice. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> um, and killed a horse. <laughs> and yeah, uh, Yep, that is all correct and not embarrassing at all. I have spilt fireworks inside of bags of fireworks, not once, but twice at Michael's house on 4th of July parties. And you can always how, you can, how you survived a year in the Middle East is beyond. <laughs> yeah, you should be dead. You should be dead right now. Yeah, there, there's there's a couple examples in my life where I can say that that I should be dead by now, and that's one of them. And one of them was with Joel, uh, and we he um, he was in the military, and I had just gotten back from. Uh, if anyone doesn't know that's listening, I, I I lived in Saudi Arabia for a year, and I had just gotten back, and him and I were talking about the Middle East and and having a conversation about that, and we were lighting up fireworks. And we were having a great time, and I fucking knocked over. It was Fourth of July <laughs> in my front yard, and we had set. We had actually, knowing who was going to be there, knowing Calvin and knowing Joel, we put the bag of fireworks across the fence, yep. f- as far away from the fire and the booze as possible. <laughs> oh no! Did that make a difference? And no. Then- Nope, that stopped us exactly zero percent. And I shot a bottle rocket into the box of fireworks that was supposed to be like hours of entertainment was gone in like ten seconds. Suddenly we had the final scene to apocalypse now. (laughs) I remember I accidentally knocked it over and I just hear Joel go, Oh fuck, and we both started running. The box blows up, and I swear to God, I am not making this up. I got shot in the back, the back of the head, and my back got hit. I got pulverized by fireworks. I had to change my shirt because I, I had clothes. I was spending the night at your house, so I had clothes at your house. The image, the image was hilarious. It was like it was all it was like shadows, and it was just it, it was like strobe lights from all the all the fireworks going off, and just seeing Calvin run as fast as he can in strobe, just oh. screaming, running through the horse paddock. And then I remember I went back up to Joel and I was like, dude, are you okay? I'm so sorry. Like, if you want to sue me, I understand. And he looked at me and he was like, dude, that was so cool. (laughs) 
<laughs> I was like, thank you. I, I concur. I do also believe that that was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've had some adventures. Um, today's, today's episode is about, uh, it was the movie that I, I had selected for Mike. Uh, it's Stanley Kubrick's Pants of Glory, uh, 1957. Like we were saying one year before... Before the other film, which was uh, Touch of Evil uh, by Orson Welles. And um, I guess starting off, uh, what are your very first impressions of Passive Glory by Stanley Kubrick? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, when you had asked about that title, and I, I had not seen it. And I don't know why I hadn't seen it. It's I, I, um, I thought I had seen all of Kubrick's films. And... Um, for some, for whatever reason, this one slipped through the cracks and he did it right after, I mean, it's one of his earlier works. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the film that puts Kubrick in the upper echelon of directors. You know, there's, you know, people talk about like that Kubrick look or that Kubrick, you know, bit, that, uh -huh. that sense of styling of Kubrick. And in his first movie, the killing which is uh, kind of a low-budget film noir heist movie about some robbers, low-life robbers that uh, try to rob the tra a racetrack. It's it's you don't really see that. It's more kind of traditional. You know, they're telling he's telling the story, but I don't think he's really kind of come into his own no, yet. No, no. Which is interesting because a lot of the same players involved in the killing are involved in this movie okay um his same producer um his same cinematographer i think it was george kraus was a cinematographer even the act what some of the actors the, the actor the really tall awkward awkward i forget the character's name in this um that is one of the accused okay um played one of the the um Cheap hoods that was in uh, oh, the killing. okay i didn't um, know that you you would you did your homework way better than me yeah. Yeah. But, you know, in the movie, is it's really fascinating. And it and I, I think I mentioned it in uh, the last episode that, you know, this was movie. It was made about the same time, you know, within a year of uh, Orson Welles' Touch of Evil. And it is, you know, a, per, a precursor to, um, to in, you know, to, to the way indie films are made today. In that Kubrick and his producer packaged the film that they, they bought the rights to a book. Um, uh, they had a script commissioned. They, um, they got Kirk Douglas on board to star in it. Um, they had the whole package put together before they went to, I think it was MGM, um, to get, a a, a financing and distribution deal for the picture. And, um, and it, it doesn't feel like an indie film at no, all. No, not at it all. It feels no. like a studio film. It feels very tight. And it's it's very tight, and it's it has, you know, visually it has the hallmarks of a Stanley Kubrick film in um, the the symmetry of the photography, the the kind of the perfection of the sharp and the deep focus of every shot. Um, you know, there's shots that are not only composed for you know for the beauty of the shot but uh, the visual style has this this kind of very hard look and feel to it and um you know if you, if you were if you kind of were glancing at watching it with the sound off it, it looks like a kubrick film yes um 
the thing that was, you know, like, I'm like, who gives a shit? It's like, it looks like a Kubrick film. But the thing that, like, when I watched it, I was absolutely blown away by this. And I'm really curious to find out from you why, out of all Kubrick's films, you like this one the most. Um, but the, I, I, what fascinated me, you know, it's it, it's known as an anti-war film. Yes. Um, but to me, the the message that jumped out so like glaringly brought loud and clear was that not only is it an anti-war film, it's a total and complete condemnation of the wealth of the wealthy class mm-hmm. of the wealthy and the privileged. Yep. And it shines a mirror on the hypocrisy of the privileged of the one percent that is just stunning that you would not find today. No. And it it, it is it, it's a really remarkable movie in in it really really is an indictment against uh, against the wealthy and how people like the common man is literally cannon fodder for the egos of these these just entrenched you know wealthy sons of bitches yep evil terrible people and i think i i don't know this to be fact but i am i'm very pretty certain i'm I'm very certain pretty certain that uh so the film uh takes place inside the french military and i'm pretty certain that is how he got away with it uh, of making this movie because like we were talking about in the last episode censorship in movies and storytelling was very much alive in the in the 20s 30s 40s and 50s um and i i i have always firmly believed and felt that if this was about the american army this film would have never gotten made um oh, dude this movie was banned in france you could not play this film in the french didn't know about this movie Nobody had seen it. It was the ban wasn't lifted until 1974. Yeah, and um, you know it's funny because like you know the, the French New Wave, you know the, the filmmakers of the French New Wave in the 60s, um, Truffaut um, famously said that it's impossible to make an anti-war film because you can't you can't celebrate something that you are taking the time to put down you know to put down on film you can't shoot a battle scene and and say that it's an anti-war film yeah and yet you know he's saying that out of ignorance because he was not allowed by his government to see paths of glory so Mm -hmm. it's um yeah it's it the movie is loosely based on uh it's based on a book but it's also loosely based on actual events that happened in the French army during World War One, uh, and the story is about um, it's about a battle gone, you know, the, uh, about a general that um, uh, condemns four innocent soldiers to death yep. uh, for no other reason that they survived the battle; they didn't die, and it's um, it was a testament that they. they There was a trial um, in which they were not allowed to speak. They were not allowed to present their case. Um, And uh, there's a quote in the movie. uh, um, I think it's it's, it's chilling. It's one of my favorite lines um, from the movie. Um, The general, he very condescendingly says, uh, tells a subordinate, one way to maintain discipline is to shoot a man now and then. Yep. And it's like, what the fuck? I mean, it's it's really 
Um, you know, and he says, I think the lead up to that sentence, he, he talks about the perfect tonic for morale, for low morale. You know, it's not the fact that, you know, in the past two years, there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of soldiers on both sides have died. It, and it's a standoff and like no one has taken any land whatsoever. And it's just a, you know, it's just, it's, I mean, it was world war one was the advent of, of, uh, of, um, of mass killings. It was, you know, the machine gun was invented. The tank was invented. The airplane was in invented. Europeans entered world war one with this old world view of warfare. And yet they were applying, um, modern technology that could kill hundreds of people where before you could kill one person at a time. Yep. And it, I mean, it was just a bloodbath. It changed, and, it changed uh, the face of war. Definitely. And, um, we should briefly mention, yeah, so this, this film takes place in world war one. Uh, again, the French, the French army is the main focus of the story. I believe I mean, it, so it, it casts Kirk Douglas, and this is kind of also reminiscent of, of the last episode, talking about Touch of Evil. Charleston Heston um, plays a Mexican in that movie, and now we've got Kirk Douglas uh, playing a, a, a French Frenchman. a Frenchman. French officer. And it's just kind of like, yeah, it's part of the times. You know, in my opinion, you know, if you want to cast a Frenchman, hire a Frenchman, but that's okay. Um, it, well, but, it was interesting because Kubrick hires, you know, basically, you know, uh, Kirk Douglas plays the Colonel, Colonel Dax. And then the, um, the, the lowly officers that are wrongly, uh, accused of, uh, desertion are American actors. The only French actors were the officers. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, Which probably pissed the French off. <laughs> I would have, yes, I, uh, yes. And, but Kubrick was very much a person where it's, it's in, in filmmaking, there is the absolute 100% accuracy, and then there is the interpretation of any given thing in filmmaking. And I, I've always felt that Kubrick was like, if you're just best for the role, just do it. It doesn't matter who you are or what you look like. If you're for the role, just go ahead and do it. And I feel like that's what he did with Kirk Douglas and this. Well, and I, I think it's one of Kirk Douglas's best performances. I Yeah, I, I agree. It's... um. I mean, he has to play this morally outraged officer that has to also follow orders and keep his cool and keep his cool. And yet everything in the, he's out so morally outraged the entire film. And it's, um, you know, so so this general orders this doomed attack on this German outpost and um, he's uh, the casualty rate he's told will be in the neighborhood of 55 percent. Yep. That means out of half the soldiers that are going to charge this hill, half of them are going to die. And the, and the general is OK with that. He thinks that's acceptable. And he's told up front that this is this is doomed to failure and he's OK with it. He wants to he thinks that it'll be good for morale and. He, what he's really saying is it'll be good for his own personal career, um, something that he can brag about to other socialites back in Paris at the you know at the dances and things that were still going on, and it really uh, it, it's shocking. It's it's I mean uh, to see the battle scene and he at when it, they commit to the battle and all along the way the, the soldiers know it's a suicide mission. The officers beneath the general, Colonel Dax, uh, the Kirk Douglas, knows it's a suicide mission. 
everyone knows that their life is going to end for the vanity of this fucking asshole. One general. singular person. Yep. Yeah. And, and, um, um, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. The, 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 the thing that's, that's, that's so compelling is that, you know, they know they're going to die and, um, and it, the, the scenes are, are, are just emotionally draining. They're so emotionally draining to watch. And the battle of course goes for shit. Oh, and then the general, when he sees the battle going south, he orders the artillery to mm-hmm. fire on his own men. And even the artillery officers, they're like, we, we can't follow this order. We cannot follow this order. And it, um, it's what's stunning is the, is again, the, the sheer ego of the commander. Mm-hmm. And again, considering the last four years of the shit show we've had to live through, of of a vain and egotistical commander in chief. Yep. Um, it kind of sheds kind of new light on that. Zero plus one, and they're still in the trenches. They're not advancing. Those miserable cowards. They're not advancing. The barrage is getting away from them. They're still in the trenches. Yes, sir. Captain Nichols. Yes, sir. Order the seventy-fives to commence firing on our own positions. Captain, do you fail to comprehend the meaning of my order? No, sir, but I respectfully ask the Captain, do you fail to comprehend the meaning of my order? No, sir. Then carry it out, Captain. Yes, sir. And all along the way, the whole movie is is just draining to watch. (laughs) Yeah. So you get these so these four soldiers somehow survive the attack. Then they're arrested and court-martialed for uh, for uh, supposedly, you know, uh, uh, trying to flee for dis- you know trying to flee when they didn't. They were randomly picked. Um, Kirk Douglas character. He's a lawyer before the war. He was a lawyer, and uh, he's so morally outraged. He volunteers to defend these guys, and the whole. Uh, court the the military court system it's st- it's set up for failure it's set up for these guys it's it, like the current like the like the general says it's like you know killing these guys is going to be good for morale i mean the deck was laid there was no justice whatsoever they knew that they were they were going to be found guilty and the, and you know and i think it's really interesting kubrick's choice to shoot the the court case in this palatial French palace. Yes. Yeah. Where it's like these guys that have, you know, literally caked in mud that haven't had a, you know, a bath and they've been living in trenches for the last two years. You know, all of a sudden they're being, you know, they're being judged in this palate, literal palace. Yep. Um, and it's just, it's such a tragedy. Yeah. And Kirk Douglas, every objection, every, Every point of law that he brings up is ignored. It's shot down. And you're like, fuck, man, this can't get any worse. And then and then the, it does. <laughs> and then it does. And then so they're found guilty. These four guys are found guilty, uh, four common soldiers. And they're led uh, – the scene where they're led to the firing squad yep. is just – it's it's heart-wrenching. And Kubrick does something – it is. It's. I think this is like one of those sh- scenes that that helped establish Kubrick, that kind of Kubrick look. 
the the camera just relentlessly follows or uh, frames them with the palace behind them as they're led to the to the firing squad. And there's it, there's it doesn't relent. Nope. Like the scene goes on probably you know two or three minutes longer than you want. You like it like the the editor and you is probably like okay cut yeah okay cut. We get the point. Okay, cut. Yep. And he doesn't cut. Yep. And it makes you think. It makes you put you in the place like, oh shit, they're gonna these guys are gonna lose their life in the next couple of minutes. And even the officer, there was one of the one of the condemned it was chosen because he had tried to do the right thing and point out a, a corrupt commanding officer. And that commanding officer is in charge of the of the firing squad and the guy he has so so much guilt he begs the begs the soldier for forgiveness before he shoots i mean it's just this heart-wrenching scene and uh, uh and it, it and that's not the end of the movie <laughs> nope. it's just like uh, every place where you think the story is going to end it doesn't end and it just goes on and um um uh, and the kirk douglas character you know, he, he tries to do the right thing, and um, he's he's just rebuffed at every level, and uh, he and he does he commits the ultimate sin, and he he goes against the upper class, and he he calls out the general at some this extravagant ball, this dinner and dance where everyone is partying and drinking, this lavish dance. And he calls out the general to the the commanding officer and calls out the general for what he is, this this cowardly, corrupt uh, official that is not helped the French cause. And he does it in a really unique way. Um, But it's just, oh, my God, what a brilliant it's a brilliant story. Brilliant, brilliant film. And the thing that I um, was utterly astounded by is that when again when you when the movie you know the, these four prisoners it doesn't have a happy ending no you know you know giving away the ending here the four prisoners are shot mm-hmm. unceremoniously shot um and uh and you think okay the movie's going to end and it doesn't it the last scene of that movie i think it's my favorite scene in the movie and it is comes out of the blue and has nothing to do with the story whatsoever. Nope. In the last scene of the movie is all these weary soldiers, uh, the, the common privates, the, the, the foot soldiers that were in the trenches, and they have a night off. They're on leave, and they're in a bar, and this the French barkeeper trots out a captured German woman young woman, beautiful young German, 20-year-old German woman who's been captured by the French, and he trots her out on stage, and he mocks her. He mocks her for being German, and he mocks her, and she's attractive, and he points that out, and you look at all these like these soldiers that that have been stuck in trenches, haven't seen a woman in, you know, years, mm-hmm. and he the guy forces her to sing a song, and the song she sings through tears is the most beautiful, beautiful, touching song that, and there's no accompaniment, there's no instruments. Nope. It's just one human voice, it's pure singing. 
and she makes this emotional connection with all of the other soldiers. She's crying, singing in German. The French soldiers, they don't understand the lyrics, but they understand the melody. Yep. And some of them start humming, and, the, and these hardened soldiers start crying. Die Botschaft bracht, dass sein Herzliebchen im Sterben lag. Da ließ er all sein Hab und Gut und eilte seinem Herzliebchen zu. Da ließ er all sein Hab und Gut und eilte seinem Herzliebchen zu. Ach, bitte, Mutter, bring ein Licht, mein Liebchen stirbt, ich seh es nicht, das I get goosebumps even just describing it. That that humanity, that shared humanity among, and I'm air quoting enemies, uh-huh. is, is I think the linchpin to the story that Kubrick is trying to tell. Yes, and, uh, that showing that we that there you know that the 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 whole idea of warfare is is such a corrupt act that that that. It, that it's an idea to keep the masses down, to keep poor people poor and keep, mm-hmm. you know, to keep the wealthy wealthy. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, uh, it was, it's stunning. And the scene at the end, if, if you aren't affected by the, the, the emotion of the beauty of this young girl singing, I, I don't know what, what, what would, I don't know what would, you, yeah. you have no heart. Yeah. Uh, fun fact about that scene. Um, I agree a million percent with everything that you said. Yeah. Uh, but um, that that actor, that the actress, the lady that is singing, uh, that is Stanley Kubrick's wife. That's how they, they that's how they met. That's how they met. They weren't married at the time. No. Nope. Uh, they got they married after after this movie. Uh, Christina. I think her name is Christina. Uh, I think it's Chris. It's, it's, it's I can't pronounce it. Or Christiana. It's Christiana. It's Christiana. Yeah. Yeah, Christiana, and uh, her maiden name was Harlan, and she was a German actress uh, at the time. And um, Kubrick fell in love with he fell he fell in love with her. And there was a story she tells, maybe you know it uh, about um, she didn't think she was right for the role, and um, and he he fell I think he fell in love with her voice and uh, fell in love with her. But he didn't tell her that at first. Um, but they, they after the movie, they finished filming. Um, they got married at, within a couple of years after that. Yep. And they were together the rest of their lives. Yeah, I mean, the rest of their lives. Yeah. 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 And she she loved him. And there's actually, there is uh, an amazing interview with her and Martin Scorsese. Uh, it was after the death of Stanley Kubrick. Uh, it was probably shot... Sometime in the early 2000s, and they all sit down and they, they talk about Stanley Cooper's life, and she gives input on 
you know, Path of Glory along with his other films. And then Martin Scorsese too is talking, you know, he's one of the greatest filmmakers of all time sitting here basically saying your husband was one of the best filmmakers ever. And like how you could get through that as a human being without like kind of breaking down in tears is crazy. But even after his death, you could, you just get that feeling like, man, they were in love. Like he loved her. And, um, I know this is like another crazy random side but like he loved his family as well. She talks about in that interview, he filmed their family all the time, nonstop. A, he loved it. B, it was an excuse to try new lenses and new cameras. Um, <laughs> but, you know, in, in the moment she talks about as well, uh, that in the moment it was always kind of annoying. Like, oh God, dad's got the camera again. Come on, sweetheart, you know, just put the camera down, come to dinner. And he... He, he kind of forced them, shocked, Stanley Kubrick forced people to do something. And uh, he filmed it. And, and then in that interview, she talks about now they get to, they get to go back and they get to see that, that, that footage and they get to watch it. And she's, I, I, I couldn't even imagine that feeling, you know, of being able to see, you know, your husband and your children when they were younger together as a happy family. And apparently he has like hours of this and uh, which is pretty cool if you ask me. Um, but, um, but yeah, the scene at the end too is it's it the the film is a it's it's about understanding you know it's about a lot of things but one of the things it's about understanding like you were saying she's a german that is who they are fighting they don't really ever talk about it and um here you are seeing this woman who is scared and terrified you know in front of what is to her the enemy you know the, the french but not her enemy she's not a soldier but you get what i'm saying and She's crying. She's a, she's a prisoner of war. She yeah. was captured yep. by, the, by the French soldiers. Yep. And she's she's singing and she forces all these people to, 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 to break down in tears. And I think it's just that moment where it's like, oh, shit. Yeah, these people are people. You know, it's easy to make a war movie where you just kill the bad guys left and right. But this is a movie. And it's also one of the first movies to say, yeah, when you, when you kill people in war, like – their husbands, their brothers, their sons, their and you know obviously later on the, with with women inter- introduced in, into the military as well, their daughters, their wives, and uh, and so on. And um, uh, that I think is essential to this to this film. And it's 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 one of the first movies I think to kind of make that statement where it, it, it's war is ugly. Uh, you were talking about they showed the landscape, they show the battlefield. So the the, the French are in a bunker. Um, and there's, you know, excuse me, trench. Yeah. Trenches. Uh, and there is like world war one fashion. There is a trench, you know, X distance away. It's within eyesight and they have to storm it and they have to take it. And the thing that I love uh, about anti-war movies, um, they do this in like Vietnam movies as well, where the landscape, the thing that they are trying to take over is just absolutely like hideous and looking at it serves no value. Like, obviously there's a, there's a tactical reason for taking this point over, but when you show it in a movie, it just—it's a valley of death. It's a valley of barbed wire, destroyed vehicles, dead bodies, blood, bones, and dirt, and it's the most like unenthusiastic thing to look at. It's, you know what I mean? It's just like it's like that's, but that's the most important thing to these generals. And when you kind of think of it in terms like that, it's like, yeah, all these people are dying for a fucking lump of mud and dead bodies. And it's, that's nuts. And I think that this film 
does a great job at introducing that idea and um, bringing yeah, back. It asks the question, like, why are, what are we fighting? What are we fighting for? You know, why, why are, why are, you know, why are we fighting the Germans? What, why is Germany fighting us? I mean, why are we killing each other? And I mean, it was a standstill for a year, for four years. No, nobody took any land. I mean, it was, both sides were entrenched, literally entrenched. Um, and it, I mean, it's like, what's the point of this? Um, you know, especially when you, when you've got more in common than you, than you, than you don't. And that, I think that's, you know, I think that that last scene with her singing, I think Kubrick was saying, listen, you know, like, like what he does visually, when he breaks the scene down to like the most basic elements visually, I think in the story he was breaking down this, like what's important in life. Like it's, it's, it's these relationships. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's not killing. It's not, um, this loss of life and this senseless loss of life. It's this, it's this art, it's this love, it's this, um, humanity. I I mean, there's no other way to say it. It's just, it's this, it's this humanity. Yeah. Yeah. And the art of her singing, I mean, the beauty and art of this, the song that she's singing is in contrast to these, to the palaces of the wealthy French elite mm-hmm. that are covered from, you know, floor to ceiling in artwork in gilded, you know, golden frames and, you know, statues and sculptures and all this stuff. Um, you know, and there's such a contrast between the two. And yet at the end of the day, the thing that is like the most moving beauty in the film is her voice. And it's also it's 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 in a it's in a it's in a dive bar. It's in you know a seedy, low, uh, yeah, uh, you know it's. And I think like the film is kind of also saying that that humanity, that life, that love isn't going to happen in a place like that palace. Yeah. It's going to well, happen again amongst people that are generally more just like yeah. me, the average Joe of the world. That's not some major politician hyper general that's making a career out of the death of people it the life is in these smaller moments and and it's beautiful and and also the thing i think that's really interesting about that scene it comes at the very end of the movie where every major beat of the film every major scene up until that point shows like you keep waiting for something good to happen Mm -hmm. and it doesn't yep like shitty things it just gets worse and worse where innocent people are losing their lives and innocent people, it's just, it's like shit, shit, shit. So when you get to this last scene, when the scene starts and you see this vulnerable, innocent, vulnerable young woman in this bar with a bunch of, with, a, with you know, 50 drunk, dirty, yeah. angry soldiers, enemy so- combatants, you're like, oh no! Uh-huh. You think it's like in, you know, and there's even shots where it's like, you know, like that soldier's got lust in his eyes. Like that uh-huh. soldier, given the chance, take her out back and you know, and rape her, and 
and that's and I you can't don't tell me that you that no one doesn't think of that when they see that the beginning of that scene. Oh, a million percent. Yeah, it's, it's just like, like oh god, yeah. what's going to happen to her? Yeah. But then he t- but then he turns the table. Yep. And it turns the table. It's funny yeah. because it's a it's a really good contrast with what you were talking about earlier. Where again they have the the soldiers they're walking down to the the firing squad, and it like you were saying it keeps going, it keeps going, it keeps going. And the first time I watched that movie, I kind of kept thinking in my head, like, you know what's going to happen. You know they're going to die. But there's just this little part of you that wanted Kirk Douglas at the last minute to grab the revolver of one of the people on the firing squad and shoot him and then save the three captive prisoners. And he saves the day because he's Kirk Douglas. And that's what Kirk Douglas does. He saves the day. And then they get shot and they die. And, and, if it was, and if it was an American studio film, it was it made it, that that would have happened. Yep. The, and, the, the yep. studio would have made him change that. Nobody saves the day, and you watch three soldiers die for no, literally no reason at all. And so when you're seeing that scene again with her singing, yeah, it's like your mind instantly is like, oh, well, it's a movie, so this is going to happen. And then instead, you end up crying to a song that you don't even understand because it's a foreign language. I mean, obviously unless you speak German, but yeah, that's, I think that's very much the point where it's, there's a lot of things that he says. And, and one of, one of my favorite things about Kubrick, I, I, I love, I love Kubrick. Um, and one of, one of my favorite things that he does, and, and you were talking about this, that this is a staple of Kubrick. This is the movie that got, that Kubrick look going, that Kubrick feel, that Kubrick incentive. This is where the this is where the car starts is with this movie. And um he introduces so many ideas and so many themes, but he never tells you his opinion. He gives it to you and he lets you walk away and think about it and chew on it and figure out what it means because I I have always felt that he thinks that whatever you think about the movie is more interesting than what he has to think about the movie. And this film does that, in my opinion, in spades because... Oh, I couldn't disagree with you more. Really? I, I respectfully and humbly disagree with you. I, I think I think his, mess, his anti-war and anti... Um, it, the well, his the message of the of the corrupt social classes, the upper classes, is, is so strong, and he's such a strong filmmaker that he is able to make his argument and his point of view known in such a subtle way that you don't realize that what his point of view is until until the end. No, yeah, I think yeah. You know, I think like you're coming to your own conclusion about the film is a testament to how good a filmmaker he actually is. Yes. And um, I and I think that's the mark of an artist um, of, of a true artist is is that, you know, he he leads you down the path to make that decision without having to, like, drag you by the nose to do it. Yeah. And I guess I think that's more so what I'm trying to say is that like yeah he he's he's not, he, he's not slapping stickers all over it to say this because it's never like the word anti-war is not mentioned once but he's doing things to show it to you without saying it and this is right. yeah it, that, that's that's very prominent in the movie. I'm awfully glad you could be there, George. This sort of thing is always rather grim, but this one had a kind of splendor to it, don't you think? I have never seen an affair of this sort handled any better. The men died wonderfully. 
There's always that chance that one of them will do something that will leave everyone with a bad taste. This time you couldn't ask for better. Yes? Yes, Colonel? You wanted to see me, sir. Oh, yes. <laughs> Come in, Colonel. Come in and sit down. Hmm. Oh, Colonel Dax. Your men died very well. Would you like some coffee, Colonel? Oh, thank you, sir. Oh, by the way, Paul, it's been brought to my attention that you ordered your artillery to fire on your own men during the attack on the anthill. I did what? Who told you that? Well, Colonel Dax came to me last night with the story. Colonel Dax, I've always known that you were a disloyal officer, but I never dreamed that you would stoop to anything so low as this. They declared the attack on the next trench, and some of the soldiers get up and, you know, charge, and some of them don't. And that's the, the, the question of, again, like, what, what would you do in that position? Because, you know, you want to get back to your family, you want to get back to your, you know, your wife and your kids. Um, but if you go over this line, you're going to die. And so it's like, you know, are you branded a traitor at that point? Or are you branded a human being? You know, and it's like, there's, there's a lot of themes like that that are, again, very subtle, but they add to this story overall. And um, there's even... Um, there's a character, the 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 evil the evil bastard general uh, 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 um, Roe. Um, he's walking through the trenches and he sees a soldier who's like, he's zapped, he's gone. You know, the lights he, are on, but no one's home. Um, he's got in World War One. It was called shell shock, but it's post traumatic. He's got post traumatic stress. PTSD. It just wasn't. It wasn't known. You know, obviously, at, at, a at the time of the filming of this movie, and b in the time it takes place and and yeah and the general too is even saying to him like you know it's just get him back on the field like he'll snap out of it and again uh, there's like a, there's a theme there of not coming willfully or unwillfully not coming to the realization of truly what is a happened to this man because of the things that he has seen and there's again there's there's things kind of hidden underneath the surface um that I think Kubrick has done a great job in this movie of, of bringing to the forefront that a lot of filmmakers, especially in that time and era, were not doing. And, um, and for that, I think it's a, it's a genius, it's a genius film. Um, I don't, I don't know if, I don't, I don't know if, because you'd said this one was my favorite, but I think I more picked it for you because it was, it was pretty, I think it's kind of, it makes a good contrast and relevancy to, um, Touch of Evil it was more the reason why I picked oh. it. So I don't know if this is my favorite, but I saw it. I saw it in college, um, and I fell in love with it. It was a. Uh, it was like an introduction to uh, what was it called? Like introduction to the twentieth century, and it, the world history that led into the twentieth century. And um, the last day of class, he played this this film for the class, and I, I I really 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 liked it. And you were also talking about how you. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. I would say, if you think about it, it's, you know, through his illustrious career, I mean, think of other, his other, you know, brilliant films, look, look at Dr. Strangelove and Full Metal Jacket. You know, I think this anti, this, this idea of showing the, 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 the insanity of, of warfare is a common theme that runs through a lot of his movies. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, like I, I had said, I had not seen this. I had not seen Paths of Glory, but when I was when um, Full Full Metal Jacket came out, 
the year I graduated from college. Okay. And I remember seeing that. And uh, I, when the movie ended, I could not get out of my chair. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I, I saw it with, with a, 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 two of my roommates. And we sat there. And we, the, the lights came up. The curtain closed. And we couldn't move. And it was um, and it was really and, the, and there's a scene in there. If you if you remember in Full Metal Jacket, towards the end, when the Matthew Modine character, um, there's they're, they're under attack. There's a sniper, and who's taken out a bunch of people, and um, he uh, he wounds the sniper. It's a Vietnamese woman, mm-hmm. and she's still alive, <clears throat> and um, she's begging him begging him to kill her to put her out of her misery because she's in so much pain and the the scene i just think is i think it's one of the most brilliant scenes in all of film cinematic history you know here's you know they're they're at war and this and she's been killing his his uh his fellow soldiers he they've been shooting at her killing her fellow soldiers and yet, when it's one on one, when it's in this injured woman and Matthew Modine, and she's begging him to put her up to do the humane thing and to put her out of her misery, like you'd shoot a dog or a horse that's injured, he is confronted with the moral choice of whether to put her out of her misery or to let her suffer. And the shot is so subtle that he's on his helmet scratched in magic marker it says meat is murder and the scene starts off when when he's deciding what to do it um it starts off framed where all you see is murder but as he's decide coming to decide like what like where his mora- his own personal morality lies mm-hmm. the camera subtly tilts up so on the helmet you see not just the word murder but um, meat is murder mm-hmm. and it, um, or a born to kill. That's what it is. I take it back. It, it, it was the, the phrase born to kill. So you just see the word kill. And then at the end, the, the camera gradually tilts up. So you see the whole phrase born to kill. And I thought, you know, vision, that to me is just, it's simple, but sheer visual genius. And it's it's bringing again the human it, they, that scene yes it's and I think there's there's a lot of parallels between Paths of Glory and Full Metal Jacket you could you could probably make a whole episode just talking about that and um, that's the scene where it's again where the, the humanity comes in you know all you see is the sniper up in a tower pecking off the American soldiers one by one but then when we get in this building it's this young woman and it's just like oh fuck and it's a lot of the a lot of the messages of, of again, the, the term, you know, anti-war, war movies, um, a lot of it boils down to, again, the duty, the duty of, of, of your country versus the duty of, of yourself and in your own morality. Um, and again, like, w- which one's correct? And it's a very, very, very difficult gray area of morality. Um, one of my, one of my favorite parts, and I'm paraphrasing here, is... Um, Private Joker, uh, someone's talking to him. I think it's like a news report. It's been a minute since I've seen the film. And yeah, they, it's on his helmet. It says born to kill. But then right next to it is a peace sign. Yeah. And somebody asks him about that. 
you know, sir, you know, you've got a, you've got a peace sign on your helmet. He goes, yes, sir, I do. And he goes, you also have a sign that says born to kill. And he goes, yes, sir, I do. And he goes, what does that mean? What's the meaning of this? And he goes, I don't know, sir. And it's like, that's, <laughs> that's it right there. I don't know. I don't know what this means. And, uh, and that's another great film too. If anyone has not seen full metal jacket, I would highly recommend that film. Um, that one is a little bit more intense than Paths of Glory. Paths of Glory is a little bit easier to swallow. It's still, it's, it's heavy hitting, but, um, uh, Full Metal Jacket ramps up the intensity, I would say. Um, but it goes uh, to 11. yeah, yeah, this this movie has it's some some scenes of of, of, of violence and, and war, but it's not it's not over the top by by any means. But Full Metal Jacket they they he, he they ramp it up. Um, and um, and again, it, it, that also then again the the duty of duty of your country versus duty of yourself is very reflective also in Path of Glory because. It's just that it's that like there was I there was a study done, I think, in the like 70s or 80s. And they were talking they were doing research into um, there's something there's a percentage of people that you could send them through military training, send them into the middle of war, give them a gun and have them pointed at their enemy. And there are people that can't pull the trigger. Um, there were people that were finding muskets all the way back from like the uh, uh, from the Civil War. They were finding muskets years after the, the battle and there were because you had to load one you know bullet at a time and they were finding guns that had multiple bullets loaded in the gun. And they found this on more than one occasion with the idea that they were going through the motions. They were marching, they were pointing their gun at the enemy and they still couldn't pull the trigger. And that's just so bizarre because it's like your life is literally on the line and they still couldn't do it. And... I think that's, again, the, the humanity that comes out of a lot of anti-war movies. And I feel like Paths of Glory is, you know, if not the film that did it, one of the films that opened up the can of, of this conversation. I'm sure there were probably, you know, this was based off of a book, but I think in terms of film, I think it was kind of one of the first ones to come out and have a bold statement like this, which is pretty impressive, again, for its time. Yeah, um, I mean... Think about 1957. So it was it was only, you know, only a decade after the end of World War Two. And it was uh, kind of at the height of the Cold War. And it was also the, the French were still, you know, colonial France still had, you know, they were fighting us a, a civil war in, in what became Vietnam. They were also fighting in Algeria. I mean, it was that time was kind of the collapse of colonial Europe. And, um, you know, and, and it's, you know, and it has this powerful, powerful message. You know, it's one thing when you were talking about, you know, being not being able to pull the trigger, it makes you think it's like, you know, in every culture, the idea of murder is is wrong, and it's and it's it's morally wrong, and yet you know there's a you know and yet we, we every culture has fought wars. Too. Yeah, you find ways to justify it, and that's that's the yeah. duty to country versus again duty to self because it's like, yeah. do you want to murder people? And, and, and you know, it, I, that's just an honest question, and it's it, it's a very hard question to answer. Um, yeah, there's there was a great um, there's a, a it was very interesting in World War II. One of the Nazi at the end at the Nuremberg trials, 
it came out that um, one of the Nazi uh, officials, generals, um, he had been quoted, there was on a, a newsreel and it showed him and it said, the only good Jew is a dead Jew. Mm-hmm. And this was like part of the Nazi propaganda and it was shown, you know, on, on newsreels throughout Germany. And, you know, and it came out at the, you know, and this was um, used as evidence against him for crimes against humanity at Nuremberg. And one of the interesting things that come out that came out of World War II is after the war ended and General MacArthur of the United States, um, he was put in charge of uh, kind of the, the, the military occupation of Japan. Okay. And there's a newsreel that shows an interview with General MacArthur, and he says the only good Jap is a dead Jap. Okay. So you've got, on one side, you've got a German general saying yep. that's being, you know, that, that is being tried for war, for crimes against humanity, saying the only, you know, good Jew is a dead Jew, and uh, an American general who won the war and wasn't punished at all for saying the only good Jap is a dead Jap. Yep. It's, it's, a, what's the difference? Yeah. What's a, the difference? It's a very than, bizarre exchange. Yes. Other than one side won, won a war and the other didn't. And it, it, I think, you know, it's reprehensible turning, you know, part of the act of war is because it's, I think it's so hard to kill your fellow man is you, you, Part of it is making the enemy inhuman. Mm-hmm. I think that, oh yeah, I think that's part of like the levers of power and the lever, the levers of, of, um, of governments and armies to get people to fight successfully in war is you have to make the enemy in inhumane. Oh, and a million percent. Yeah, that's. I think that's what makes the end of Path of Glory so, so fascinating. Is that. You know, these soldiers have been taught that Germans, you know, they eat babies and that they do, you know, that they're horrible, you know, that they're inhumane and, you know, they're they're, And yet here's this German woman singing the song and sharing, sharing her humanity with the French soldiers and the French soldiers sharing their humanity by by humming along and crying. Um, and, you know, I think that's the message from Kubrick is that that sense of humanity is stronger than, um, than the acts of war. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's also then I think demonstrated too to, to continue that, that point. Um, it's continued then also even in the, the, uh, the soldiers on trial, like we were saying, they, they don't, they don't, they're wearing their same goddamn uniform that they were wearing in the trenches. It's the exact same outfit. And so here are these, Three exhausted, tired, miserable uh, soldiers that are in again, like we were saying, this this this, this palace and it's beautiful and it's a, you know everything is sparkly and 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 shiny and bright and and then here are these soldiers that like you 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 like you know I'm sure they they smell bad they're tired they're exhausted like you said they need a shower and they haven't gotten one and it's a way to it's a way to separate it. Because again, it's it's easier to to sentence somebody to death when they look the part of you know being gross and you know look like your cliche criminal. People always say things like, "Well, that I'm surprised that person was a killer. He or she doesn't look like a killer." And it's like, "What does a killer look like?" You know, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and um, 
I, I feel like that, that that film does this as well. And there's also amazing contrast shots again, where the soldiers are in the are in the trench. They're dying. They're watching their friends next to them die for this 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 valley of death. And then Kirk Douglas goes to a party where all the people that are calling these shots are dancing, you know, with 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 women, and they're they're having a party and they're drinking and they're celebrating. And it's just like that. It's just it. It's it's nuts. It's it's a yeah. it's a very interesting stark contrast where, again, for there are people in this world where it's like, yeah, war is an economy and yeah. soldiers there, are a number. And yeah. you know, and, and, and I mean, the th- and I can't stress enough. It's like four innocent soldiers that are put to death because they survived a battle that fifty five percent of their comrades didn't. That's why they're put to death. Yet the general who calls the court-martial fires on his own troops, has the artillery fire on his own troops to motivate them to go fight. I mean, that's insane. That's absolutely insane. And my favorite thing, too, is that that's the inciting incident. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's not that's not the that's not the climax of the story. That's what starts the story is this this fucking crazy general with a scar on his face saying yeah. fire fire mortar not mortar. I don't I'm not a big gun person. I don't know a lot of these terms, but yeah, fire giant effectively bombs on our own people to scare them out of the trenches to go fight. It's just like what? Like yeah, it's. It's nuts. It's crazy. And it's, it's a, it makes for very, very good storytelling. It's just as relevant today as it was when it came out. Yep. You just, you, you demoralize the, the enemy. And again, it's, if you just paint them as, as, it's just absolutely the worst terrible people in the world It justifies war. And I think there are people in this world that just, they won't swallow that pill. Um, obviously, you know, there are people that want what is best for their country, but war is a very, very weird, bizarre gray area and then again that's another great thing again when kubrick shows that valley it's fucking gray there is not really black and white it is painted as gray as humanly possible obviously there's nighttime shots where it is then painted heavily black but during the day where you see it the most the landscape everything is gray and it's it's a very great movie of again what would you do in this situation and um and putting yourself in the shoes of others, I always think is a very important thing in life because people are different than you. And, um, yeah, he does a great job that we were talking about that, that March, that marching scene where there's the drum, they're walking up to the firing line and he keeps holding it. And I think it, it's, it's this scene where it's just little by little, you start to feel, you get that feeling that they, they probably have, obviously it's a fictional story, obviously. And it's a movie, it's characters, but, what it's supposed to portray of like, how would you feel walking down a line and there's a post and you know, you're going to die at that post. Like, it's just, uh, yeah, he does, he does, he does a really good job. Everyone is there to watch you die. Yeah. And, 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 but they're on your side. They're, they're the same countrymen as you. Yeah. And it's just like, it's just, it's, it's shows the insanity of the war. Yeah. You know, who's, who's here for what and why. And, um, and again, it, it, like we, we said a lot in, in the last episode, this was, this was in the, this is the end of the fifties, you know? And I feel like, uh, this movie very much today holds up 
in terms of, of the message of what it's trying to say and to let you leave with a thought and idea, it does a great job. Very much like Touch of Evil as well, where you get to interpret a lot of parts and take away your own feelings. Yeah. You know, it's one last thought on the, on that last scene. Um, you know, it's this, the movie ends with a song and, um, you know, by these French soldiers and, you know, the, the other, you know, there's another classic, great Hollywood classic film, um, Casablanca, Casablanca, you know, it takes place in world war two, but that movie ends with this rousing rendition of the French, you know, the French national anthem, which is supposed to rouse you to, you know, support, you know, the support the French and support the resistance and, you know, the war effort and all that and make, you know, make you proud to be a Frenchman and all that. And, you know, Kubrick kind of uses the same cinematic element. He ends this, his movie with a song and yet the takeaway couldn't be, you know, more up. Op- it's 180 degrees opposite. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I it's it's a it's a great film. Pass the glory, Stanley Kubrick, nineteen fifty seven. Um, unless there's anything I'm anything else that I'm that we're missing, I think that does a good job at summarizing all of this and our thoughts and feelings on it. Yeah. Um, uh, Mike, thank you so much for for coming on the show. It's been absolutely amazing talking to you. And thank uh, you for letting me. I mean, uh, film nerd talk for for like the last two hours. Uh, yeah, I I appreciate it, and um and hopefully everyone at home listening uh enjoyed it as well. It's 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 it, for me. It's about the people that I bring on, and and this I've been excited for this one for quite a while. So thank you so much, and uh, thank you for everybody listening at home, and um we will see you all next time. This has been the You Show Show. Have a good day, everybody. Bye. Thank you, you, you thank, show. Thank you, you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Hello there, soldier. Ready to kill more Germans? Yes, sir. What's your name, soldier? Sir, Private for all company A. Uh-huh. You married, Private? No, sir. Well, I'll bet your mother's proud of you. Yes, sir. Well, carry on, Private, and good luck to you. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Hello there, soldier. Sir. Ready to kill more Germans? Yes, sir. <laughs> Working over your rifle, I see. Well, that's the way. It's a soldier's best friend. You'll be good to it, and it'll always be good to you. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, uh, good luck to you, soldier. Carry on. Thank you, sir.